I'm Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for Thursday, January 20th, 2022. We're going to cover NFL's divisional round weekend. Uh, we're here on YouTube and Twitch, and you can make your comments and ask your questions in the discussion. Uh, hello to everybody listening afterwards on the Football Outsiders podcast network. Don't forget to subscribe and press the subscribe buttons and make sure you're listening to all of our shows. I am joined today by Mike Tanier and by Tom Gower, our resident Titans fan. We'll get to the Titans in a little bit, but also David Lombardi is here from The Athletic in San Francisco to keep us up to date on the 49ers. So we're actually going to take this weekend's games a little out of order, and we're going to do Saturday night first with uh, San Francisco at Green Bay. The line is Green Bay minus six. The temperature is, as we were just discussing, probably going to be about one degree. Green Bay minus six. <laughs> right in the temp. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, the line kind we'll of see. Temperature. Yeah, we'll see if the result of the temperature match. The 49ers want to keep it above zero, <laughs> and the Packers want to go under. <laughs> um, before I ask about uh, injuries and such, just a reminder that these two teams played in week three. It was sort of an interesting game. The Packers won on a last-minute field goal drive, but they kind of dominated the whole game before that it was one of those games where the end result is a lot closer than the play-by-play -play is they actually outgained the 49ers something like 6.0 to 4.6 yards per play they won the turnover margin plus two uh but there have been a lot of changes on both of these teams since then so you know we go we'll go back to week three games and week five games and a lot of these matchups this weekend and there have been a lot of changes on teams so my first question for you, David, actually, when the biggest reason why I wanted to have you on the show when I thought of let's get somebody who covers one of these teams to come on is what's the injury situation like right now, especially with Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, with Jimmy, uh, there are two injuries now. He has the torn ligament in his throwing thumb. And then if you watch the play on which he got hurt against Dallas, got crunched from both sides, was fallen down. You could tell he didn't want to land on the hand so he wouldn't re-aggravate the thumb injury. So he really awkwardly landed on, on, on his arm in a way that got the shoulder. So there's a mild to medium shoulder sprain on top of the torn ligament of the thumb. I still think the thumb's a bigger deal. I do think he even might have aggravated the thumb injury a little bit with that, that hit on the shoulder just because of how you know everything is connected in the arm and how awkwardly he fell. And then there was a throw late in the game to George Kittle yeah. that they showed the Exmo on CBS. I watched it later. It looked like he wasn't using any thumb on the throw. It looked like it was just coming out of the four fingers. And luckily for the 49ers, it was so bad that it was incomplete because Kittle fumbled after initially uh, that, that that was ruled a catch. So uh, Garoppolo, before this play, late in the second quarter on which he hurt the shoulder, was something like 9 of 11, 11 yards an attempt. And after that play, it was like 3 of – uh, 10 or, you know, it was a precipitous drop in production uh, before and after the shoulder injury. Now, what, so he said that it affected his throws. I think that it was clear he was less accurate in the second half. And we'll have to see what the weather does now, because we do know that really cold weather can be bad for some of these nagging injuries on fingers and on shoulders. Uh, he has been throwing fine in practice, but practice has been in 58 to 60 degrees. Right. And and that has been without pass rush. Uh, neither of those two things are going to be true on Saturday night at Green Bay. I was going to say you could take a cold team and put them inside, but you can't take a, a, a warm weather team. I mean, not like San Francisco is Florida, but, you know, you can't take a team that practices 55 degree weather and suddenly put them in 10 degree weather. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can chill a bubble that much. <laughs> yeah, you can you, you go to one of those big Costco freezers, I guess, and have practice in there. But uh, the 49ers did not go to those extremes. <laughs> the Lucas films for the for the Star Wars movies, I think they have a giant cold storage, so it can be the ice planet. You can practice in there, get ready for Green Bay. Yeah, and I mean, if you guys like Star Wars as much as I do, next time you're in San Francisco, I'll let you know where the Master Yoda statue is, uh, because that's where Lucas Films headquarters are in the Presidio. There's literally a Master Yoda statue that you have to check out. Oh, it goes with the Fawn statue in Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> we should do all of these. We should do a tour. So I guess people are, are wondering, like, is there a chance we're going to see Trey Lance? I mean, A, 
is there a chance we're going to see Trey Lance for like a package? But B, is there a chance that if Garoppolo comes out and is struggling, that they'll pull him? Well, uh, this is our guy for this year. We feel like he's got much more experience. This is our guy for this year. Yes. So as far as, you know, QB one, it's Garoppolo, unless he has an incapacitating injury. As far as package play, it's been possible all season long. And that's one of the most interesting storylines of this 49ers team. Shanahan went from really wanting to integrate Trey Lance situationally frequently in training camp. He was talking about it. He was excited. He even compared the quarterback position, the way that he was looking at it, to the receiver position where you rotate and the running back position, which he does a lot, where you rotate guys based on down and distance, based on matchups. And he really wanted to leverage the fact that he thought that Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo did different things well, that there were comparative advantages with both. He tried to put that into practice against the Raiders in the preseason, and he carried that all the way into the regular season. You saw the first drive against the Lions. Four Anders marched down the field with Garoppolo, and he puts Lance in to throw the touchdown pass. But as the season progressed, Kyle found it difficult and awkward from a play-calling standpoint to uh, execute that because he found that he needed defenses to adjust their strategy to Trey Lance when he came in so that he could actually run the plays that made most sense with Trey Lance. And he said defenses kind of were, uh, you know, it would take a longer time for, for that chess match to evolve the way that he wanted to. So he kind of abandoned it, especially since Garoppolo and Lance both got hurt in weeks four and five, uh, you know, respectively. So, and then, then they got a rhythm with Garoppolo and, 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 and it was, you know, kind of cut and dry, but there's always still a chance that they use a Lance package play. It's just less likely than it was at the start of the season because of the the reasons I outlined, because Kyle's comfort play calling with Garoppolo and Garoppolo has been mostly efficient throughout the year. Now in the the past two, two games, he's been hurt and, and the injuries are mounting. So that leads me to believe that maybe there's a greater chance of a Lance package play because there may be something physically that they're not comfortable with Garoppolo doing that Lance might be able to, you know, take advantage of against Green. And then the other injury that I think people are pretty concerned with is Bosa. What's the status on Bosa for this game? I think Nick Bosa is going to be fine. Uh, There's a lot of optimism there that he'll pass through concussion protocol fully by today, by Thursday, he was already through phase four. I'm, I'm not as familiar with the exact details of concussion protocol, but he was out on the practice field in a limited capacity yesterday. And, you know, th- this is probably the least surprising thing ever for you guys. Nick Bosa has told us that he grew up when he went to bed, he would hold a football. I mean, he's a football guy, right? He, he's a guy you're not going to separate from the game. And he was clutching his helmet yesterday at practice. And he was standing right in there with all the drills. And most of the time, we don't see guys in concussion protocol out there at all. Bosa was out there holding his helmet, joking around every – and he has to be at a certain – through a certain level of the protocol to even be out there, which he obviously was. So I would be shocked if uh, Nick Bosa did not play in this game. Fred Warner, I haven't gotten an update on him. He's back out of practice. Uh, Yeah, that looked a lot worse than I guess it was. He was – he was, uh, you know, writhing in pain and yelling yeah. there, but it turned out to be a low ankle sprain instead of the dreaded high ankle sprain that's been the bane of the 49ers' existence the past couple of years. So he's back out there. And, I mean, this team is is healthy as far as availability of guys goes. I think everybody's going to be out there. Uh, the mm-hmm. question is, everybody's fighting through stuff right now, and the biggest question, obviously, is Garoppolo. How effective will he be? Uh, Flynn Hagerty asks, Will San Francisco go back to the 2019 game plan and try to run all over the Packers? <laughs> I mean, I uh, think that San Francisco's game plan in general is they yeah. like to run. Kyle Shanahan wants to run at volume. That's his goal because he believes that he has, he's zagging while other teams are zigging. He thinks NFL defenses have downsized, which they have over the years. Uh, you know, there's a lot of nickel package stuff. Defensive linemen are much lighter than they used to be which is why you have the 49ers not only try to run a lot, but the guys they pass to, they've emphasized that, 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 that they're going to be guys that are, you know, bulldogs after the catch. Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, even, I mean, he's not as physical after the catch, but, I mean, he was against Dallas on that one play where he dove for the first down. But, but he's still good, you know, in the open field. Jawan Jennings is another great example. 
of a player that kind of fits that mold. So uh, the, the 49ers absolutely want to either run at volume or pass short at volume to set up yards after the catch because they feel they have an advantage over teams that that uh, aren't as good at tackling. And, and obviously Green Bay's run defense is their weakness. It was in 2019. It is in 2021. So, uh, yes, the 49ers will try to run all over the Packers. But I think the key to that is, you know, there's it's not a black or white proposition to run the 40 times that the 49ers, you know, think they, they need to run. I know that's backwards thinking, right, especially from an analytical perspective. But that's not how they're thinking. They're not saying, hey, we're, we want to go in and run 30 times. That is a result of what they think a balanced game plan should be if garoppolo is passing well and passing efficiently and moving the chains on third downs especially then the 49ers will reach that volume running that they think can bruise and beat another team into submission so it's not all about running the ball it's about a balanced offense for shanahan that moves the chains and gives them the chance to run at volume and take advantage of uh, these downsized nfl defenses the only running they only ran it eight times in the first half in the first Packers meeting. And I think they had injuries. I think Mitchell was out, et cetera. And some of the running plays, like, like it was a Kittle sweep. Yeah. Like that. But that, that was, I guess, mildly surprising in that first game uh, that they that they were so pass-oriented. They did fall behind early, too. I think that. that yes. And also, I mean, the reason they ran Kittle, they, they didn't have Elijah Mitchell in that game. Debo Samuel wasn't playing running back yet. Um, and Trey Sermon was the lead back, 10 carries for 31 yards. So they were really shorthanded, and they, they need a very specific type of back to make that running game sing. And unfortunately, Trey Sermon hasn't been that guy, even though they used a third-round pick on him. So uh, they they felt hampered in the backfield in that game, so they they were throwing more. They got behind because that wasn't working. They, they were discombobulated in the first half. Right. And um, th- they think it's different now, and I think it is different. We'll see how, how much of an impact it has. But Debo Samuel is phenomenal in this run scheme as a running back. And Elijah Mitchell, obviously, is a perfect fit, too. And the Packers, I mean, the reason why the Cowboys, the 49ers were such a bad matchup for the Cowboys was in part – was that the Cowboys were a much better pass defense than a run defense, and the weakness of their pass defense was yards after the catch. The Packers are a little switched in that their real weakness is the run defense, where they're 28th in DVOA. But yards after the catch, they're not particularly good either. They're kind of average in preventing yards after the catch, and when you play the 49ers, you don't want to be average. You want to be really good in preventing yards after the catch. So, um let me ask you about when the 49ers are on defense. So who are the cornerbacks at this point? Who are the top three cornerbacks at this point? Because they've had guys coming in and out of the lineup with injuries. Well, they, they were able to get their best two guys out there. I know I'm not counting Jason Verrett because he, he was done for the season in week one with ACL tear. But outside of that, their two best guys right now are Emmanuel Mosley and Ambry Thomas, the rookie who's really been coming along. And then their third, their slot guy is Kwan Williams, who's been around for a while. But Ambry Thomas uh, suffered a bone bruise, which is really painful in his knee. So he's actually been a little slowed at practice. But the good news with that is there's no structural damage of the bone bruise. And the 49ers are pulling out all the stops this week to get their guys rested. They're pushing practice back. They're sleeping in. You know, that's what their sports science guys telling them. They need to get as much sleep as possible. And they're really hoping that Ambry Thomas is in less pain in the cold on, on Saturday than he is now because he's been playing good football. He's physical up there against C.D. Lamb, set a tone early in that game. And you know what was the, the thing about the first Packers game in week three? Uh, what made it so different from the games in 2019 where the 49ers pass rush overwhelmed Aaron Rodgers is that Rodgers was able to get the ball out quick. 2.3 seconds was the, was the time from snap to release. And the 49ers need to be playing some press man coverage with better cornerback play than in week three to prevent Rodgers from doing that, to give their pass rush a chance to get home, right? Coverage can feed into rush and they're, they're going to need that. They had Josh Norman and Diamondor Lenore start a corner in week three. So who they have slated to start, Mosley and Thomas in this game, they're way better than their week three starters. And, yeah. and I think that's going to be a big, big key to watch in this game. Based on the SIS charting stats, I would watch out for the slot because Kawan Williams was only 81st among the qualifying cornerbacks in success rate and coverage. Norman was also terrible. And Mosley was much, much better uh, than the other two. And then Thomas didn't have enough, um, Thomas didn't have enough uh, targets yeah. to qualify for the rankings. Yeah. 
but he's been improving over the course of the season. There was a point oh, a few weeks ago where I watched San Francisco where they're like, look at them picking on Aubrey Thomas, and that's definitely he, not the case anymore because Dallas was certainly not doing that last week. Yeah, he was real penalty prone early on, right? Yeah, his first start was in Cincinnati, and he – I mean, they won that game in overtime, but if they had lost, those two penalties would have been probably reason number one and two that they lost that game because uh, mm-hmm. one of them nullified a big pick. And then he started, you know, avoiding the penalties, and he started – you know, what was interesting is the evolution had been steady. Against Tennessee, he got picked on, but he was always in perfect position. I mean, unlike Norman, who was getting roasted by five yards – Thomas would be in position to make a play. He just wasn't strong enough to win at the point of attack. He w- it wasn't really confident enough, you know, in, in, in his abilities. And then he started winning at the point of attack. And then it got to the point against Dallas where they didn't even pick on him. And I think Aaron Rodgers is going to go out. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers is he he's he's like a hound, right? He, he's going to find the weakness and he's going to go after it. And he did that against the 49ers. I think there was four defensive pass interference penalties for 116 yards in mm. week three. But he's going to go after Embry Thomas. So Embry Thomas can the you know, prove that, that, that he's ready for this game, but all indications so far are that it, it, he's at the very least an upgrade over what the 49ers threw out against green Bay last time. Right, by the way, only three penalties this year for Aubrey Thomas, Josh Norman, 10 total penalties. Most of them pass interference. Yes. Yeah. Seven forced fumbles though. <laughs> That's why he's stuck in the lineup <laughs> for so long. Cause he couldn't cover, but he was forcing fumbles. And finally the 49ers said, you know, your, your coverage liabilities out, outweighing the forced fumbles. <laughs> there are interesting discussions to be had in the analytics world about the value of turnovers versus the value of coverage. Tune in next week for Trevon Diggs' discussion. Well, not next week. <laughs> not next week. No, we don't have to talk about that until the offseason. Don't have to talk about him until the offseason. So. Um, I'm remiss without at least mentioning, of course, that the Packers have guys coming back from injury, too. So Zadarius Smith is supposed to play in this game, and Jair Alexander is supposed to play in this game, and David Bakhtiari, I believe, returned for the last week of the regular season. Uh, He won the award for only Packer who cares about the Week 18 game. (laughs) Um, And normally I'm always like, I don't know how good guys are going to be when they come back from injury right away, but with the bye week, they're not really forcing these guys back. They basically had these guys possibly could have been available in week 18, but they had that week and the bye week to let them rest. So I feel like they're probably coming back at a at good quality. Yeah. And, you know, Jair Alexander obviously played in week three. Bakhtiari didn't, but Alexander had, had a phenomenal play in week three where Garoppolo actually made a really, I thought, good pass. Shanahan thought it was a really good pass. I think it was the George Kittle deep post kind of was dropping in the bucket there, but Jair Alexander came all the way from his cornerback position because the Fort Anders didn't have a receiver on that far side. And um, I would love to see the tracking stats to see how far he ran to make that interception. But he got there just in time, picked the ball off. And that was part of the early run in the game where Green Bay went up 17, nothing. So um, Alexander is a plus cover corner and he'll go above and beyond like we saw in week three to make plays even outside of his zone or his man. That could, he could be a game changer. So that's big. Bakhtiari obviously is big too, but you know what we need to talk about is the 49ers pass rush. It, it's a completely different unit than it was in week three. They have starting at around week eight, it, it's been incremental, but starting around week 14, everybody started surging. It's they started rushing as a unit. Mm-hmm. And um in week three, that wasn't the case. In week three, it was Bosa and everyone else. And if we apply this to 2019 when the Packers had an awesome offensive line they still had Lindsley and um the uh Bulaga back then the 49ers overwhelmed them even though the Packers offensive line was really good so my big question entering this game is has the 49ers D-line returned to the type of level that can dictate the game against the Packers O-line like it did in 2019 I don't know the answer to it right. but I, I'm definitely wondering if that's going to be the case this this weekend yeah because it, it's interesting because um Aaron Rodgers, you know, we know that performance under pressure varies more than performance not under pressure, but Aaron Rodgers was actually pretty poor against pressure this year. And I think, hasn't that been the case? Uh, I mean, at least recently in his career. He I mean, face a lot of pressure, but when he does, yeah, when he does, yes, exactly. He's had good offensive lines, and that's what really, you know, Packers in 2019 were number one in pass block win rate, I think number one in PFF grade pass blocking wise. And but the two games that they faced the 49ers, that offensive line just melted. Like they they 
they weren't able to, to block Bosa and, and all those guys. And so that's why Green Bay came into the week three game with that get the ball out quick game plan. And it actually worked, which is why, you know, both rush and coverage are important. They, they work in tandem. The 49ers need to cover better to help their pass rush. And I think their pass rush has improved a lot since week three. Yeah, DJ Jones, by the way, one of the great underrated players in the NFL. <laughs> Somebody nobody ever really discusses, but who always really seems to bring an A game. Yeah, I mean, uh, number one in, in ESPN's uh, run-stop win rate there at, at defensive tackle, Eric Armstead is number three. So the 49ers, they moved Armstead. You know, that's been the turnaround. The, the, uh, this is what I was talking about in my article yesterday. The Packers in week three were able to kind of just chip away, chip away, chip away with their run game. And it diffused the 49ers pass rush. I think they had um, 25 carries in that game, but not a, only one of them went for negative yardage and they averaged four pop. And it was just, you know, just, it was, it was kind of boring, but, but it was methodical and the 49ers were always behind schedule defensively. After Javon Kinlaw went down with a season ending knee injury, the 49ers moved Eric Armstead inside and he's paired with DJ Jones. And these guys are one and three in in run and run stop win rate uh, in the middle and their run defense uh i'm not sure about the dvoa splits aaron but i'm sure you could look at it since week eight i think the 49ers are number number two i mean for the season the 49ers are the number two run and then if you break so break that up into splits between weeks one through seven and weeks eight uh forward that's after armstead moved inside the tackle and i'm pretty sure you're going to get something like number 12 and number one as the splits because that's what the epa says so it's probably going to be something similar um, I would bet. Yeah, and and that's been a huge turnaround that that you know makes the 49ers fundamentally different than they were in week three. And and you know DJ Jones, obviously an elite run stopper, but you saw against Dallas, he had that one swim move, and for a 305 pounder on the pass rush to get on Dak Prescott that quickly, that's the added element that he brings that the 49ers didn't have in the past because he got hurt in week 14 of that 2019 season. I think if they had DJ Jones for the Super Bowl that year, uh, we, we might be, you know, having a very different discussion about Mahomes, about the 49ers, because he might have been that missing piece they needed to stop that Kansas City run game. Hmm. All right, let's wrap it up here by sort of coming to the, the pick, pick at the end. I will say, I think I mentioned this yesterday, this is the game where the football outsiders FO plus picks are closest to the actual line. So the line is Packers minus six. And I am asking, so what do you guys think as far as picking the game against the spread and straight up? You guys go first. Yeah, Mike, why don't you start? Yeah, you were almost talking me into the 49ers at least to cover with the win, but I'm still pretty confident with the Packers here. I'm probably going to take the Packers in this game. I am looking at some unusual props. I'm going to throw some quick props at everybody here. Okay. Debo Samuel, over 150.5 combined rushing and receiving yards at plus 350. Any interest? Oh, at plus 350? Yeah. How that's many yards? Plus 151, pretty much. 151. That's and a this lot. Is re- oh, that's, yeah, that's a lot. lot. That's a uh, lot. Plus 350. Plus, 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 plus 350 is nice, yeah. Right. You know, and this is combined rushing and receiving or just receiving? Yes. Combined rushing and receiving. Ooh, ooh okay, okay, yeah. wait. I'll go, yeah, for, for that kind of payout, I like that. I'll give you one uh, other one here. There's a couple okay. that are goofy. Aaron Jones and Elijah Mitchell to combine for two plus. So you get two or more rushing touchdowns at plus 250. That's good. That's good. I mean, in a, in a cold game? Yeah, even if they're doing goal line I, stuff. I don't know maybe. because Dylan seems to be more of the goal line back at this point, And we know that Aaron Rodgers loves to throw it when he gets close to the goal line. He throws more than. Like he throws more goal line touchdowns than any other quarterback. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I think, I think Mitchell will get one rushing touchdown. It, it just depends on what Green Bay does, you know? Yeah. Dylan's had the five rushing touchdowns. I bet if I look this up, it's all going to be short yardage ones. Yeah. You know what? You're steering me. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take the Packers and I might on a lark, take that Debo so I can watch Debo all night and enjoy him. Nice. <laughs> I also will point out I took the over on this game in the ESPN best bets column that will come out. Ooh, what is it? Probably tomorrow. I believe it's like 46.5. I, I don't have it right in front of me right now. Hold uh, on. 46.5 is what I'm seeing. Okay. It's, under weather. it's under weather. 
I'm, I'd be a little um, worried. These offenses are pretty strong, so yeah. I, I like the over. It didn't affect Josh Allen last week, so we have no. It did not. <laughs> that was crazy. Uh, what I'd say is both these teams like to run the ball. There probably won't be that many possessions, and they probably won't score seven points of possession like the Bills did last week. So I'm maybe a little more skeptical of the over than you guys are, and that would also affect uh, vol- any volume props like the Debo Samuel 151 yards. Mm. If the, if you're only looking at have at each team having the ball eight nine times for the entire game. Good point. Do you have a pick on this game overall, Tom? Um, six is I like the 49ers to win. Six is a lot, but if you I like think, the 49, if you like the 49ers, I'm sorry, I like the Packers to win. Uh, six points six is, is a lot, yeah. Six is a lot, Packers to win, but not cover. I think my worry about this game, and the reason why, if I had to go with the line, I think I would bet Packers is my worry is that Jimmy Garoppolo's hand is really bothering him, but that they wouldn't pull the trigger on pulling him out of the game. It it would take too long of him struggling for them to pull the trigger on taking him out of the game if the injuries are causing him to struggle. Right. Right. You know, covering the 49ers this, the past couple of weeks, the way they came back against the Rams, the way they – you know, won in such a weird, torturous fashion against the Cowboys. <laughs> it's just, it's just a funny team to kind of handicap and yeah. and figure out that they, they 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 have overcome a lot this year, which makes you you know in these ugly games, there's something to it, you know. So <laughs> I think I think this game's going to come down to the final possession. I don't know which way it's going to go. I have to submit my prediction today for the Athletic. Um, may play to the crowd. He may play to the readership there and say 28, 27, 49ers. Cause they love that nice. score. You know, 28, 27 <laughs> is historic and in 49ers history, but um, yeah, I'm still thinking about it to be honest. And I, and I really think it's going to be a bar fight. Cause I don't think, you know, you saw when the Niners down 17, nothing against the Rams, they found a way to get back in the game, even when they're banged up and they didn't have all their guys. And uh, now they're healthier. And just the way 49ers Packers has gone. Like, look, look at week three. They're also down 17 nothing, right? Yeah. And they still found a way that you opened the show by saying, hey, statistically, they weren't really in this game. They still they found, found a way to get back in it. Yeah. So I think you're going to see this. This is going to be a really entertaining game at Lambeau to watch. That, that That's all I know right now. So I wouldn't bet on a cover from the Packers. Packers might win, but I think it's going to be really, really thin. All right. Thank you to David Lombardi. David Lombardi writes for The Athletic San Francisco. We'll let him go and get off to Green Bay or Milwaukee at least. Yeah. I'm excited. uh, Thanks, guys. Have fun in the cold. And thank you so much for joining us and giving us more insight on the 49ers ahead of this game. Really appreciate it, man. No, thank you. Your uh, numbers are always in my game preview, and uh, the fans love it. So you keep on doing all that good work. I appreciate it talking to you guys. All right. Talk to you later, David. Take care. All right, next we're going to go backwards in time to the first game of the weekend and talk about Cincinnati at Tennessee. And I'm going to let Tom talk a little bit about his Tennessee Titans and how he feels going into this game while I fix my ring light. <laughs> okay. Uh, so if you have <clears throat> if you have ESPN Plus, you should definitely read Aaron's piece yesterday on the Titans, uh, where they stand in DVOA and why you might why you probably should be more optimistic. Excuse me. Uh, I tweeted this. I tweeted out the conclusion yesterday that while the Titans probably had the weakest regular season of any number one seed, that's not really an accurate reflection of the strength of the Tennessee Titans as they are right now. Having AJ Brown and who uh, especially makes a huge difference in how productive they can be in offense. They're really poor, in particular, in the games where they did where they neither he nor Julio Jones played. And so I think the correct line for this game was probably is not based on the regular season DVOA of both teams, but something more like minus four. It's the game actually opened Tennessee minus three. So it's weird for me to, it's weird given that I tend to be a pessimist that I'm actually, <laughs> I expected the line to be one point more favorable to the Titans than it yeah, actually was. I was surprised that the line started so low. It's moved to three and a half at this point. Yeah. All right. But the power of the bye week, and this is, I mean, an extra thing for the Packers 49ers, right? If it wasn't for the power of the bye week, I would probably pick the 49ers to cover a six-point line. Um, But, yeah, I mean, for that article for ESPN, I I really did try to isolate on defense 
Like this is the point of the season where the Titans defense was bad because of injury. And so, you can't really do that. Like it, the, I think injuries on defense are a little overstated. Uh, their five best defensive players coming into the season, I would have said were Danico Autry, Jeffrey Simmons, Harold Landry, Bud Dupree, and Kevin Byard. And the, and, Four of those guys haven't missed any games, and the only one who has is Dupree, who's coming off a torn ACL in December. Right, right. And Tennessee's funky with their with their injury situation because they've had a they've had they've had a lot of guys miss time, but assuming Derrick Henry comes off injured reserve in the next couple of days, as we expect him to do, then the only guy on injured reserve who might who qualifies as anything like a starter is second tight end Michael Pruitt, who. Yeah. Uh, screwed up his ankle in the next last game of the season. Right. They're really healthy now. Right. So I think the, you know, what I said basically in the article and I've said on football outsiders too, is that I think the injuries on defense are a little overstated. There's guys going in and out of the lineup all year. Most teams have been like that all year in, right. because of normal injuries and because of COVID. But on offense, you can absolutely look at, these are the games that Jones and Brown played together. This right. offense was way Right. Yeah, and it makes sense. It's their thin at receiver. They don't have great receiving depth. Their wide receiver actually played the uh, – I forget if he was first or second uh, in Brown Passman late in the season – is Nick Westbrook-Akine, who was an undrafted uh, free agent from Indiana uh, last, year, uh, last year. He's basically a special teams player. It's They really do not have much receiving depth. So it makes complete sense that, the wide re- that missing their two star wide receivers – matters a lot with how good the offense is it's just uh you look at those games with especially the games with henry and brown and julio were all two months ago right right so it's hard to figure out how good are they now with those guys because we haven't seen the whole team and then we we did see brown and jones together in the last week of the season but the defense went out and played lousy and let houston back into that game yeah almost let houston tie it uh, Stephen, a reader, points out that the Titans are six and one in overtime or a field goal or less final score, and the Bengals are three and four. Swap some of that luck between the teams, and this game is viewed way differently. But if you that's true, if you swap schedules, and you really because you look at the strength of schedule, the Bengals had an incredibly easy schedule this year. They're thirtieth in our schedule rankings. It's disguised because we hear Ravens and we hear Steelers. And we assume these are really strong teams. They, they really weren't this year. So you can talk about one-score games, and that's fair. That's legit. You also talk about strength of schedule. The Titans, shockingly, had a decent schedule this year, even though they play the Jaguars in Texas, because of all the Chiefs, because of all the Rams, because of all the Bills that they've played already. And right. they, got the, they got the NFC West in their crossover games. Yeah. Plus the yeah. Saints, who are, deep, who are reasonable. Right, right. Right, I so. will I will say, looking at the stats, I think the Titans need to – they're going to come out with Derrick Henry, and everyone's going to expect run, run, run. I think they should go opposite that and pass more. The Bengals are 32nd in DVOA against passes on first down. Huh. I think the Titans like to do what they like to do, and they'll come <laughs> out and try to focus on running the ball. And I just hope they'll like – stick to their weird tendency of if first down's a run, second down's a pass, or, <laughs> or if uh, first down's a pass, second down's a run, as opposed to sticking with a really run-heavy game plan. Um, I have one particular weird, possibly weird concern about Derrick Henry is that he hasn't faced NF- he hasn't faced tacklers in two months. And if you look at week one, both the past two seasons, he hasn't played in the preseason at all. He's had very poor games in week one. He had like one of the worst games by uh, it's uh, week one last year against Denver. He had, it was like one of the worst games by next gen stats, rushing yards over expectation yeah. metric of the entire season. He ended up with like minus 45 yards worse than expectation. Right. So I think he's a back. Uh, if he could have taken it, I would have liked to have seen it. Like to have seen him get even just three to five carries in week 18 against the Texans, just to give him a feel for getting hit again and getting more used to, you know, this is a good run. This is, and just getting him a couple reps against timing. Um, the Titans did get 
more physical in practice this week. I don't know if they have the same concern I do about, about him missing time, but I do think that is a bit of a concern. And I, you know, the run game's been effective enough with Dante Foreman, but he's really a back who needs functional space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most important thing is Cincinnati's injuries on the defensive line in the wild card yes. round. No Hogan it's not just the buy to get healthy. It's playing a one less game with one less game where you where you can have key players get injured. And I think this is really an offensive line versus defensive line game on both sides of the ball. And if that's and the case, that's, that's, that's a win for the Titans, if that's the case. And on offense, that seems like a win for the Titans. On mm-hmm. defense, I do go back a little bit to the Titans' defensive game plan against the Bengals last year. Um, and to beat up Bengals offensive line. Joe Burrow ended up extending a few plays. He had one play where I'm going to say he held the ball for like six seconds before he found an open receiver. But otherwise, you saw a lot of what he did at LSU with a lot of five wide, letting him pick matchups, trying to get the ball out quickly. Because otherwise, that right side of the Bengals offensive line, uh, I would look to see a little bit of – I would look to see the Titans run line games with Harold Landry and I've – and maybe one or both of Simmons and Autry and really look to attack that. But if you look at even at earlier in the season when the Titans were getting more pressure than they have the last couple of weeks, it wasn't necessarily quick pressure. I think they're in it. I think they ended up something like 17th in the season in ESPN's pass rush win weight on defense. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that pressure was like the coverage holds up initially. And then the defensive line gets there a lot of times after a stunt, after a stunt or some sort of game up front and then that because once you hold the ball for 2.5 seconds that gives that time but if the ball comes out really quickly on a three or five step drop then you know that pass rush doesn't have time to get there the only time they really got that kind of pass rush was in week three against the Colts when the when the Colts were playing a scrub at right tackle and Carson Wentz couldn't move at all and Harold Landry ended up with like 12 pressures that game and so he's as the effect of that game has been minimized, he's kind of fallen out of the top of the ESPN pass rush win ratings. And, you know, he's still a really good player. Um, but I do think that's going to be a key matchup. And if you look, and, you know, I was at the game in Houston in week 18. And if you look at what Houston did in the second half, it was a they didn't try to run the ball hardly at all. They only called like four rushing plays the entire second half, I want to say. And they did a lot of, they did a lot more empty looks and they let, Davis Mills identify matchups and which is exactly what Cincinnati does, which is exactly what Cincinnati is. And yeah, you look at, and the Bengals have one of the best top three wide receiver groups in the game. And I would feel much more confident from past defense perspective in Tennessee's ability to match up. If it was a team like Kansas city that where the tight end was one of their top three options. If you look at DVOA versus types of receivers, um, the Titans are number three against tight ends by DVOA. I was on, uh, I was talking to you guys uh, before the San Francisco game and, you know, talked about their ability to match up with George Kittle, who did not have a big game. He, I don't think he had his second catch until the fourth quarter. I talked about Dane Cookshank's ability as a matchup threat. Um, so I, and the Titans really play, uh, cornerbacks by sides. So the Titans, so the Bengals will be able to, you know, send Jamar Chase out to the offensive right, defensive left. He'll be matched up with Janoris Jenkins. I think that's a matchup that the Bengals would be willing to attack regularly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one, uh, another thing the Titans had issues with in week 18 is vertical routes from the slot. And so I do, th- and that's another area that I would look for the Bengals to potentially attack. So I do think Cincinnati, it's, I do think there is a coverage matchup that Cincinnati can win if the line matchup doesn't wreck their game plan. That sounds about right. I, I, I'm going to admit, I really like Tennessee in this game because I like the power of the bye week. And I do believe in their offense being better with those receivers healthy. And the Bengals defense has been really mediocre this year and is missing Ogunjobi now. Um, And you can, you just stay away from a Wouzier and you can pass downfield against them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that, you know, I'm not looking forward to the reactions from a lot of Titans fans online when they win their first <laughs> game after all that I've written about them. But I mean, I think this matchup 
is good. I think this matchup is good for both offenses, but I, I just like it for the Titans offense a little bit better than I do for the Bengals offense. Want some props? Hit me. Sure. Derek Henry and Joe Mixon combined 150 plus rushing yards, but you only get it at minus 105. Uh, yeah. yeah, these are the last three games I think have for Cincinnati have had some of their highest uh, situation neutral pass rates of the season. Um, yeah. I do think let Burrow cook is key for Cincinnati this game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Henry, I do have that concern about him. Henry and how effective he'll be. And he did not have a good game against the Ravens last year in the playoffs. I think I would lean away from that one at even odds. Yeah. Yes. I would lean away from that also. Yeah. There's not enough meat on that to be interesting. This one's got some serious meat on it. Jamar Chase and AJ Brown to combine for three plus touchdowns at plus 750. Chase and Brown. <laughs> three TDs. Um, both those guys have matchups that I think the offenses would be willing to attack. Uh, plus 750. Not, it, oh, yeah. Plus 750. You throw $10 on it, and then you get 75 back. If I were just having, if I were, just, if I were in Vegas, just having fun, I would put ten dollars on bags on that just to make it more fun. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not sure if it actually makes mathematical sense. <laughs> I don't think it makes mathematical sense. I will probably be playing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how do you feel, Mike, about this game with the overall line? The Titans minus three and a half. I was leaning Bengals as of Sunday night, and then I really looked at the Titans again. Wrote about them a little bit and walked through, talked about some of the things on their defense, some of the little tendencies, the actual strength of their schedule, et cetera. I'm now leaning towards the Titans. I don't have a great feeling about this game, but at three and three and a half, I feel pretty comfortable. I'm going to take the, the Titans. I can lay those points. And I don't know what the over-under is, but you guys are talking me into the over. Uh, I don't have it up right now. It's 47. Well, it's high, but I might be able to get talked into that because, like you say, these are very good matchups for both offenses. I, it's put, they're potentially very good matchups for both offenses. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like I said, I thought the line would be minus four. I, you know, I do lean slightly in favor of the Titans. It's easily a game I could see both teams winning. Um, as a speaking as a Titans fan, um, I look at their past two experiences as the number one seed, where they all where they outgained the Ravens by like 180 points in both games and lost both games. <laughs> And I'm just like, I don't want another agonizing loss. You know, if, you know, if I could deal with Derrick Henry having a bad game, like Julio Jones gets hurt and they ended up forcing the ball to AJ Brown and they can't cover and it's like they lose by, you know, 27. I could handle a 27 to 10 loss better than I could handle another loss where they grossly outgain the opponent and lose anyway. You're talking to an Eagles and Patriots fan. We know how that feels. We just felt that yes. a couple days ago. And uh, if Randy Bullock misses a field goal, in the first quarter, I may go ballistic just because that's missing field goals has been a problem in their previous experiences as the number one seed. Yeah. All right. Rams at Buccaneers. Buccaneers minus three is the line. These two teams played back in week three also. Rams won pretty easily, 34 to 24. Um, just pointing out a couple of interesting matchups here. Tampa Bay throws more deep passes than any other offense and are fourth mm-hmm. in DVOA on deep passes, but the Rams were the number two defense on deep passes. Hmm. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay defense is weaker against middle passes, and we talked last week about how the Eagles were not going to be able to take advantage of that, and the Eagles did not take advantage of that. (laughs) We're taking advantage of because of that. The Rams are fourth in DVOA on passes in the middle of the field. They can take advantage of that. Hmm. And they threw the ball all over the field against the Buccaneers in the first matchup. Uh, it, the, the score was close. By the third quarter, that game did not feel particularly close. And I think one of the things we have to look at, I know the secondary has improved somewhat, or I believe the secondary has improved somewhat for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they couldn't stop Cup. Um, I believe it was Deshaun Jackson who went ham. It wasn't Odell yet in, uh, in that game. Yeah. Right. No, no, obviously they had Woods back then and they still they had, had Woods. Jackson in that game. Right. But even I think Jefferson even had a bunch of big catches. It was just it was like NASCAR for a lot of the game for the Rams. Yeah. And we know that Tampa Bay loves to blitz and Stafford has been phenomenal against the blitz this year. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, 
he's still Matt Stafford. I can't get over the idea that any given week he could just make two horrible decisions. In the first quarter at his own 15-yard line. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no question. If you're just like, which quarterback do you trust more, you'll right. take Buccaneers minus three all day long. Right. Um, um, what I what I wonder about is neither team ran the ball that well in the first matchup, and I wonder uh, though I have to double check to remember if that was a Leonard Fournette game at all. Oh, the, the Buccaneers uh, ran the ball well most of the season, or at least yeah. efficiently. Yeah, yeah, that was it. yeah. Jones had five carries. Fournette had four. Um, I do think the that game was partly a story of third downs. Stafford was phenomenal on third downs. Uh, the Deshaun Jackson 75-yard touchdown pass at the start of the second half that really put the game away was a third and 10. Mm. I do think that game was probably a little bit closer on a play-by-play basis than it felt like or the 10-point or the margin indicated. And that was sort of like the peak of the Bucks are really having all those injuries, especially in the secondary that they didn't have in 2020 when they won the Super Bowl. I do think this is actually a little bit of a Tampa Bay edge. And I do think, because I uh, just looking back at my notes on that game, um, I do think the Rams were able to scheme, them, scheme some things up more than you would expect them to be able to in a more boutique matchup than like you get, or more bespoke matchup like you get in a playoff game and I and just the whole Rams model stars and scrubs kind of bothers me against uh, the really top teams that are excel at identifying and exploiting matchups and I think stars, that's, that's what's a that? lot of stars it, 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 yeah it is it's <laughs> I think they'll need to have a really strong game on offense for, and from Stafford and, you know, we saw Odell. Uh, I do think this will be more of a Cooper Cup game. I don't know if you have props on Cooper Cup, Mike, but I, you know. He's not Offensive probably... Player of the Year. He's not Offensive Player of the Year. We have to get <laughs> out of our systems right now. Um, now, I do, I, I do think this will be more of a Cooper Cup game than, Cooper Cup game than last week's game was. Right. Uh, Jim Steckschulte says, does Akers' return and the Tampa Bay run defense fading – some later in the season affect expectations. Yes, Tampa Bay's run defense DVOA was fourth in weeks one to nine, 17th mm. in weeks 10 to 18. Just, and then only a little bit because of a couple of games missed by Vita Vea. They weren't missing Vita Vea like throughout the entire second half of the season. The Tampa Bay run defense definitely faded. And I do think that that affects expectations, no question, because the Rams do like to run the ball. Yeah, it's and actually the Rams run uh, I think they have, well, it was Tony, Sonny Michelle was like 20 for 67 that game, but it was really a staffer that drove the offense. And I think it'll probably be, but the Rams, you know, the outside zone, I have to really study the Bucks defense in more detail, but the Rams, where the run, Rams like to attack on outside zone is more the right place to run against the Tampa Bay defense. It's not right up the line and they don't get as wide as other outside zone teams like to as much um we saw the eagles issues with that fast low linebackers just killed the run, yeah. just killed what they were trying and to do at safety yeah and acres does give you i mean we know sony sony is a, sort of a battering ram acres yeah. gives somebody more dynamic he's somebody you can throw to in a few different ways out of the backfield this isn't just oh we're throwing a running back out there we're throwing a different kind of running back somebody who has a little more playmaking capability yeah you talked me into the rams run game a little bit but not <laughs> but not enough for, to make me think it'll be more important than, you know, Stafford big play versus Stafford inexplicable pick. I, I will say two other things. One is the Tampa Bay pass offense has definitely declined in recent weeks because of the injuries. Right. First losing Godwin and then not replacing him. With, I mean, you know, they were, they lost Brown for the whole second half of the season and then they got Brown back just as they lost Godwin and then they lost Brown. So they have now they have no Godwin and no Brown. I mean, even against Philadelphia, their pass offense DVOA was not as high as you think, given the score of that game. Yeah, they, were, um, they were just tossing the ball in the flat and getting 10, 15 yards, which is great, but it's not like, you know. Right. Yeah. They're not punching you in the mouth with their receivers other than right. Mike Evans and Gronk. 
The other is, I think a lot comes down to what are the status of injury status of Andrew Whitworth at left tackle for the Rams and Tristan Wirfs at right tackle for the Buccaneers. And I do not know, I don't think we'll know until the game is being played how much those guys are affected by their injuries from last right. week. Right. I don't have an update on that at this point. But yeah, obviously, Wir- and Wirfs is a guy I, I was I well, I was anticipating that he was out. So yeah, I thought so too. Right. So I mean, we'll have to see. All right. What do you guys think? Buccaneers minus three. What's your pick? I'm going to give you two lovable props before we go. Hit me. You're going to love them both. Cooper Cup or Mike Evans to have 125 plus receiving yards at plus 130. Uh, I've already said I think this will be a cup game. I'm very interested in that. Yeah, that's real nice. That's real nice. This or one, makes it really interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and would be tough. The or uh, it makes it a little easier. I, I, my, my son is taking an intro to logic course, I think, as we speak upstairs at Rutgers University. And uh, that or makes a big difference. Here's another one Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford to combine for 600 plus passing yards at plus 150. I'm going to say no. Okay. Scott Spratt's projections actually have Stafford only at like 240 yards. Okay. Because Tampa Bay cuts opposing passing yards. Their run defense hasn't been as good in recent weeks. He doesn't throw for as many passing yards when he's on the road outside of the roof of Sophie Stadium. So hmm. okay. I would actually go no on that one, I think. Right. We talked about Brady's receivers. So all right. So we're gonna go yes on the cup or Evans. And I'm going to I'm going to go with the Rams in this game. I think I talked myself into it while sitting here that uh, I feel pretty confident after what we saw on Monday night, how good they can be. I think I trust the Bucks a little more and they are at home and that uh, they combined for 775 passing yards in the first game, but now that was at still five, but right. which is why the, uh, <laughs> uh, I am, I am leaning Bucks. Okay. Even minus three. This is a really high one. Buying into home. Am I buying into home road splits? Well, when it's indoors versus not indoors, I am buying into home road splits. That's what it's really about indoors versus not indoors, not as much as it's home and road splits. Um, This is a tough one. That minus three is like the perfect line for this. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to go Rams plus three. Yeah. But I mean, it really feels like. Buccaneers should be favored to win. It's a close matchup. I mean, hopefully all four of these are close matchups. I hope that they all turn into close games. But I think uh, if you put a gun to my head, I'm going Rams plus three. All right, let's let's finish up with, I think, the game of the weekend. Although, I mean, these should all be really good games because we're the divisional weekend. Bills at Chiefs, which is now at Chiefs minus one and a half. Huh. Which sounds like too low, but then you look at how good the Bills have been this year when the Bills are good. And listen, I think this all comes down to, I can quote you all kinds of stats. It all comes down to the Bills being inconsistent and which Bills team shows up and which Josh Allen shows up. Mm -hmm. Because if the Josh Allen from last week shows up, then they win and they don't just win. They win easily like they did in week five when they beat the Chiefs by 18 points. Right. And yet if Josh Allen from the Atlanta game or the or the Jacksonville game or something shows up, mm-hmm. then the Chiefs win easily because Mahomes. I mean, it's really hard to predict this game based on splits and matchups and stuff because Buffalo is so inconsistent. Right. And Kansas City through the season has shown their dark side and has those quarter-long brownouts as well, where they gave me... Well, I'll I'll point out, this is an interesting stat. The Chiefs, for the last three years, were number two in third and long DVOA on offense. Every year, they were number two. Okay. This year, for the first 11 weeks, they were uh, 20... uh, They were, sorry, they were 31st. Wow. Since their bye week, they are number two. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And Tennessee, by the way, has been number one on third and longs since Kansas City's bye week. Who? Tennessee has? Yeah. That's just the last five games. Okay. Okay. That's an odd six, split. Six games for Kansas City, five for Tennessee. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, 
you know, there's an interesting, I've got an interesting graphic to show here of Josh Allen, who was awesome against pressure, uh, but lousy against the blitz, which is a weird combination. Right. Yeah. So this is from ESPN Stats and Info. And you can see most quarterbacks are sort of in a line. Mm-hmm. And then there's two quarterbacks who are below that line, right? For most quarterbacks, the better they are when against the blitz, the better they are when pressured. Right. Allen and Lamar Jackson are the two weird ones where they were bad against the blitz, but really good when pressured. I don't know what is the action item for the Chiefs defense out of this chart. Like, does that mean you, you, it means you need to get pressure with four and not blitz him. And it, uh, I mean, sorry, it's the opposite of that. It means you want to blitz him, but not get pressure. Like, how do you do that? Like, what's the action item there? I don't know, but it's a really interesting chart. Right. I mean, for Lamar Jackson, if I'm reading it right, it means if you get your pressure with your four and your coverage is downfield, but you got, you can be in zone. He'll, and- he'll run all over the place on you. So well, he's, Unless you got guys spying, unless you got guys in zone that can get. He's relatively bad against the blitz. Oh, okay. And relatively good when pressured. Okay. Okay. I think you blitz. (laughs) I think you blitz because you know this. The chances this is a statistical artifact are pretty high. Um, You know, and and like you want to, you want to attack this guy. You know, so. I I'd say the Bills in the regular season probably were more hesitant to use Allen as a runner or to tell him to take off against the blitz. And so I think he's more dangerous against, he's probably more dangerous against the blitz now than he would be, or against the blitz. Yeah. Against the blitz now than he would be in the regular season, Mm -hmm. uh, partly because I'd expect more of a designed run element against the blitz if they do come. I, I definitely think they're getting a lot of value out of doing Allen on designed runs. Right. Scrambles too, but designed runs. I mean, you know, as a sad Patriots fan, I'm sad. He's really good at <laughs> designed runs. The designed runs work, so did the design passes, so did the runs, so did everything. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh... Oh, my goodness. Hitchhiker's Pie wants to know what the sample sizes are on these. I think it's like 120 to 150. That's reasonable. Plays. Um, where's Brady? Is he average? I think Brady is somewhere on that line near Mahomes. Right. You're talking about Brady who doesn't get pressured a whole heck of a lot anyway. And I don't right. know how often. How, it's very situational to blitz Brady because it's like, hey, Tom, we're going to leave some somebody open in coverage for you. Let's see how that, right. how, how that Bra- works. Out. Brady's on this line where Jackson and Allen are weirdly good when pressured and bad against the blitz. And Stafford and Garoppolo are weirdly good against the blitz, but bad when pressured, which suggests they're really good at identifying the blitz. Right. I mean, either they or their offensive linemen are really good at right. identifying the blitz. Um, Brady is on that basically that line that most of the quarterbacks are on, where, but he's but it's good. You know, he's not on the bad part of that line. He's on the good right. part of the line. Um, interesting dichotomy here. The Bills are by far the best defense against deep passes, where the Kansas City offense is ninth. The Kansas City defense is the best in the league on short middle passes, where the Bills offense is ninth. That's where we go back to the matchups in this. It's almost like uh, everybody's got, you know, strength versus strength, weakness versus weakness. It's like you, you turn around and say, well, which version of the teams is going to show up. Because- and also the weaknesses are not necessarily playing. Like, for example, uh, the, the uh, Bills uh, – uh, with sorry, the um, with the Chiefs, Rashad Felton was only 68th in success rate. Okay. But he's now the fourth cornerback. Right. So to and- pick on him, you've got to go four wide mm-hmm. and but- hope that he comes in. Which right. the Bills can do, right? We talked about this last week. I think they right. go four wide more often than anyone but Arizona. But right. um, you need to go wide to try to bring in their depth at corner and their depth at safety. You want to get Fenton and Sorensen, Fenton and or Sorensen out there on the field. Right. So and I would spread things out. Sorensen was an every snap player in week in the in the first matchup. Uh, now he's like a fifty percent of the time player. But yeah, right. I. 
if I'm remembering the uh, game, the Cincinnati game right, he was a key factor in a couple of those plays. But if I'm remembering the first matchup between the two teams right, he was a key factor on a lot of plays. Yes. Yes. Bill Houston points out linebacker Willie Gay, who might act as a spy on Allen, was arrested on a misdemeanor last night. It doesn't sound like that's going to affect the game. Hmm. There certainly hasn't been talk on Twitter today like that was going to affect the game. Hmm. That would definitely be a loss. There's no question. And I think uh, Derek Classen writes about it in Film Room today. The Buffalo running game was efficient all year. Yes. But they've really started to use it and use it with varied looks over the last couple of weeks. And I think that that's positive because while, you know, passing is better than rushing, mm-hmm. being able to do everything is better than <laughs> passing. Right. right. Because the more that you can do everything well, the less the other team knows what you're doing. And a couple of those losses, they really like, oh, they, they went away from the run earlier than you need to against, say, the Jaguars, where it's like we can just stay balanced and everything. It looked like they were pressing in those games. I haven't seen them in the last few weeks look like they were pressing very often. All right, what do you guys think? Uh, First of all, do you have any fun props you want to play with us here? Fun props are coming as soon as I click over and find them. Oh, this one, okay. I'll just give you this one because it's insane. At plus 2,000. Plus plus 2,000, see? You know this is going to be cherry. Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen combined 10-plus passing touchdowns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, even at plus 2,000, I don't think that's happening. No, that's schmuck bait. That is the definition of schmuck bait, but I had to put it out there. Um, So, yeah, again, I'm sorry, by the way, for folks who are listening to this after the fact or watching us, that we are not spending as much time on this game as we did on some of the earlier games, but it really does feel like these two teams are both strong in almost every way. It's just kind of a question of which Buffalo shows up. I don't want to talk about it. I want to watch it. I want to yes, see. Yeah. I want to get my conclusions after the game and also get all excited and also write about it and everything else like that. Going into it, it's like, let's just see. Let's see these guys do it on the table. So I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I just have a little more confidence with the Chiefs. I tend to root for the Chiefs in the AFC. But you're right. The Bills, the team that we saw this last week, is going to beat anybody. The Chiefs that we saw – team that we saw last week could beat the Steelers very easily, but was tripping over themselves early in the game and was doing the thing that they often do against better opponents. that makes it harder for themselves. If the chiefs, if the chiefs do the thing where they're tripping over their own feet early in the game, they will lose. Well, I was going to say if the good bills show up, Mm -hmm. they are way too good for the chiefs to pull that early in the game. Right. Exactly right. You can't goof around for the first quarter and give up like a strip six or whatever because you're running weird wildcat plays. You cannot do that against this opponent unless they're in their in their goof off mode too. But I'm leaning towards the Chiefs. Uh, Buffalo pass defense number one against uh, number two wide receivers. Number two against other wide receivers. Not as strong against number one wide receivers or tight ends. Kansas City, you know, I. I Feel like I've talked about it all year. They have uh, largely a two-man pass game where they get where they occasionally get occasional contributions, but this does seem like a game where they're going to rely a lot on Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and you know Buffalo's you know Tre'Davious White's obviously out for the year. Um, you know, if Buffalo goes nuclear again on offense, all bets are obviously off. But I am leaning Kansas City in this game. I am. Uh... Elijah G says the concern is number two cornerback Dane Jackson. I think he means Teron Jackson, where this is a game where not having Tredavious White is an issue. I, I agree. This is definitely a game where not having Tredavious White is an issue. Right. I think that I would pick Buffalo, but my God, is it close? And the line of one and a half is almost pick them. So really, uh... There's no advantage in the points when the points are one and a half. Yeah. Um, either way, I'm, you know, I'm rooting for the winner of this game to make the Super Bowl because I look good, right? If um, <laughs> he makes the Super Bowl, that was my preseason pick. And if Buffalo makes the Super Bowl, they were number two in DVOA and I have money on them in Vegas. So my, my, <laughs> my Buffalo to win the AFC bet from when I was on vacation it still lives. Um. I think I narrowly would take Buffalo, but again, I, we're all just really waiting. This is just, this is the marquee game. Yep. It should be fantastic. 
both teams are really strong all around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean no disrespect to any of the other teams because there's a good chance that those teams winning the um, winning the Super Bowl also. But there's a reason why in our odds to win the Super Bowl down in the corner, you can see that we have either the Chiefs or the Bills winning over a third of the time. So that's some canceling each other out. Some of that is, yeah. If whoever yeah. whoever wins this game will become our number one team, I think. Right, right. Because um, because right now they're kind of canceling each other out by playing each other. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, uh, but the Bills are the hottest team in our ratings right now. So, you know, I mean, the the problem with the Bills is always been, do you trust them to put four of those games together? <laughs> so. All right, that does it for the show, folks. NFL Divisional Round Weekend. Everybody enjoy it. We're going to have a lot of fun this weekend. Please subscribe to the show. If you've been watching, make sure you watch all of our shows, including getting into the offseason when we'll be doing a weekly draft show and a weekly catch-all free agency and stuff show. Right. The plan is weekly draft show with Mike Tanier and Derek Klassen, and then the weekly everything catch-all show with me and Mike uh, once we get to the – uh, once we get after the season tomorrow, Scott Spratt will be here at 1 p.m. Eastern to do your DFS advice. So you can play DFS in this awesome divisional round weekend. And everybody enjoy the games this weekend. I will be back Monday with Ian O'Connor. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Tom. Good luck to your Titans. Uh, you and I get to uh, enjoy Super Bowl rings of years past. <laughs> recent in some cases blowouts can't take away our recent Super no Bowl. we can hide in the trophy case my, drinking my bud light eagles lane johnson uh, glasses in the background there. wearing your uh, dog mask <laughs> yes wearing my <laughs> dog mask and, and, and huddling up with reggie back there so all right guys enjoy uh enjoy the weekend everybody and tune in for scott spread tomorrow i'll see you monday so long 